back after a long break. Yeah, it's been a while. It's good to be. It's good to be back. Yeah, been, into recording. It's good to be back. Definitely, we were, I guess, busy and away. Yeah. So we had to take a break, but we're back and ready to. Yeah. To do some podcast. Ready to roll. And we have so quite a lot of topics. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yes, and I guess we will start with the elections in Poland. I guess today's podcast uh, it's specifically about European Union and European politics. Yeah, there have been some developments in mm. Europe, which I think we have to cover. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, going chronologically, the presidential elections in Poland uh, happened uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago um, with the Conservative mm. Party candidate Andrzej Duda winning a re-election yeah. with a very small margin, but still, he won. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's very interesting from your own personal experience to talk about those elections because you you've been there in Poland yep. during elections. So, and you and you were also certainly a volunteer, right? So you can help to organize elections or something like that. Or yeah, exactly. Uh, I was engaged in the um, opposition campaign. You might okay. say. So, from your personal experience, how did elections go? You know, what I mean, what have you have you found anything peculiar about them or some from you just personal I guess experience it's interesting uh, well first of all I think it's important to note that those elections were democratic mm -hmm. you cannot say that they weren't uh, they weren't rigged they weren't staged mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say that they were fair yeah um, first of all uh, the government and basically the state used mm -hmm. all of its resources to promote their candidates. Yeah. Um, they have complete control of the state television, which was basically not that part of the president's mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, when you compare the uh, screen time that they gave to yeah. all the opposition candidates combined, mm -hmm. and you compare it to the screen time that the president had, it was like something like 65% of the screen time mm -hmm. was just the president, and only 35 was all of the other candidates combined. So this mm -hmm. already says a lot. Yeah, this is a useful tool, um, I guess, for ruling yeah, parties. Definitely. I mean, the same happens in Russia when, you know, every um, every elections that they hold, they're not they're definitely like, some of them are rigged, but most of them they definitely it's like way too much propaganda coming from television because they control media, and you know who controls media controls I guess minds. So uh, that's the case in Poland. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and this campaign was really, really peculiar, mm -hmm. especially the second round with just two candidates, that being Andrzej Duda and Rafał Trzaskowski. Mm -hmm. um, you could see the polarization in the society because um, yeah. first, one of the um, opposition uh, TV stations, they said, hey, we'll organize a debate and we invite both of the candidates to come. Mm -hmm. And only the opposition candidate said, yeah, I'll come there. Yeah. Uh, but the president refused and he didn't take the invitation. But at the same time, State TV organized their own debate, mm -hmm. which the president, uh, yeah, he accepted the invitation and of course the opposition candidate did not. Okay. And we had a very peculiar, peculiar, uh, basically, event, mm -hmm. which I think never happened in any democracy ever, that there were two debates at the same time, which took place. Mm -hmm. But uh, only one candidate went to one debate and the second one to the second debate. Yeah. And, you know, yes. the journalists would be asking questions as if both the candidates were there. But they would say, okay, so now Mr. President would answer, but he didn't come to our debate. And the same time in the state TV, we were like, okay, <laughs> now Mr. 
Shaskovsky would answer, but he didn't accept our invitation. Yeah, kind of sounds very really postmodernist, you know. <laughs> very childish behavior, you know, very childish, I would yeah, say. Yeah, modern politics, man. It's very, it's, it's too much postmodernist, I guess. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, tell us, I guess, tell us a few words about this another candidate, because, I mean, most of maybe listeners are familiar with the ruling party, because it's somehow famous uh, in Europe. But uh, with this candidate, what can you say about him? Maybe just uh, elaborate on his platform and stuff like that, because I guess not everyone is familiar with with his platform. And it was, you know, very yeah, close so, election, so it's still... It's yeah, it was, he had 49% mm -hmm. to like 51, so it was pretty close. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it was, I don't remember the exact number. Yeah, but it was, it was very, very close, close, like 1 or 2%. Yes. Um, basically, like 300,000 votes mm -hmm. decided who was president. So for a country which has 40 million people, it's a really close yeah. call. So basically, uh, the second guy, uh, Rafał Trzaskowski, mm -hmm. he is a member of a, the Civic Platform uh, party. Mm -hmm. And um, he is uh, most well known for being the mayor of Warsaw for some time already. He is, uh, I would say, a liberal candidate. Mm -hmm. He isn't really leftist. I would say he is pretty much free market oriented, but he is also pretty progressive in terms of, you know, worldview and, you know, minorities okay. and sexual orientation, etc., especially for Polish standards. I guess he's, he's uh, a pro-EU candidate, right? Uh, you can say. Yeah, he's definitely pro-EU. Pro uh, he's also, you know, pretty keen on defending mm -hmm. minorities, etc. Um, and <laughs> that's interesting because when, basically, when he ran the first round of the Polish elections, mm -hmm. Uh, he was basically promoting his views that, yeah, we should be part of the EU and we should have a free, free market. Yeah. But then uh, in the second round, where there, he was well, he was the only opposition candidate mm -hmm. left against the president, he was trying, trying to win over candidates who are you know, more conservative, oh, who yeah. are more uh, you know, nationalist, etc. Mm -hmm. So it was really funny because, um, well, he had to basically build his narrative on... Um, on the fact that the Kankori party are socialists yeah. and we can't have socialists in power, etc. Um, and this in turn made many people who are leftists, you know, not happy about him because, hey, we wanted to vote for a progressive guy mm -hmm. and here he is, you know, calling, that, saying socialism is bad. Yeah. So he was in a really tough spot, which, bas which is basically a, a symptom of Polish democracy that the opposition mm -hmm is very divided. Uh, yeah. The leftist party hates the centrist party, the centrist party hates the leftists, the rightist mm -hmm. parties hate everyone. Exactly. And it's super hard to cooperate, really. Yes, and I guess another interesting point, as you mentioned, maybe you can also add something to this point, that uh, he used some, you know, kind of nationalist rhetoric in order to attract voters. Yeah. And I guess it's it's also a common trend because every like successful candidate, you know, in Europe, like even Macron, or Italian, uh, this uh, left party, they all use some sort of um, nationalist rhetoric in order to attract voters because it's the way European politics really works because it really needs this middle ground, you know, so to speak. Because people get yeah. like fed up with uh, this like typical, you know, right wing, right left divide and they want something new, they want something a new platform, they have some concerns that they want to like, politicians to address and stuff like that. So maybe just uh, can you give some examples uh, in what way he used uh, nationalist rhetoric and what do you think about this? Was it like successful? It was uh, not really a big success. I wouldn't really say that he um, promoted nationalist mm -hmm. rhetoric, but I would say he promoted more of a 
um, more of a uh, conservative rhetoric. He would be saying that, oh yeah, we have uh, much in mm -hmm. common, we know, with the uh, extreme right party uh, of which is called the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have much in common because we all value the free market, you know, and we hate socialists in power okay. because the current ruling party is socialist, and we cannot have people just, you know, just giving money away for doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, which is reading the budget, we want to, you know, a stable budget, etc. So, uh, he didn't really directly uh, promote any nationalist okay. uh, sentiments, but he was trying to win over nationalists by, by saying that, hey, we are kind of similar, you know, okay. we have similar values. Uh, but on the other hand, the president had, he had, you know, uh, no, nothing stopped him from being openly nationalist and mm -hmm. basically Okay. Well, I will even say some Nazi rhetoric happened there because uh, he would, okay. yeah, he he would be saying that uh, LGBT people they are not people, oh, that uh, the LGBT is not people. It's just basically ideology, and this ideology oh, man, this is worse is than communism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and this is this is yeah. happening in Europe, you know, with this uh, common values and stuff like this, which is like a little bit astonishing. Yeah. So. Um, I guess uh, my next question will be, so what's next for Poland? I know you have parliament elections coming next year, so the... Uh, no, yeah. no, we don't. Okay. The parliament uh, parliament elections is in three oh, years. Oh, in three years. Uh, yeah, we just we just had one one year ago. Okay. Um, and, uh, well, the closest elections are uh, coming are the local oh, okay. government elections. Yeah, maybe I missed up. Uh, okay, so do you see yes, so any perspective? I would, say, I would say that for the next three years there will be no change at all and the only hope is that um, the opposition can work out, work something out in those three years mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, run together against the government or something like this, which is pretty, you know, wishful thinking, but okay. it is possible to achieve. Um, and the next hope I have is that the current president will maybe perhaps be more independent of his party mm -hmm. right now because it's his second term and he cannot run for, you know, next term. So he has nothing to lose when, you know, in opposing okay. the government from time to time. So maybe he will, you know, step down with his, with his aggressive, you know, rhetoric and basically supporting the government in every move. Those are my hopes. Okay. And maybe the last question, since, you know, we dedicate our podcast mainly to security and international relations. Um, so, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you see, like, did you, did you notice any difference in their platforms in terms of security policies? Uh, and specifically what I'm interested in, in terms of how they, um, what, what were their views on, what, they, what were their takes on uh, Russia and the US, for example, or or there was no like kind of very big difference. They all support like the same, uh, no pro-American platform. So what do you say about this? Um, so the current president, uh, he mm -hmm. is clearly anti-EU, and uh, he doesn't want to. Basically, his narrative is that the EU is, you know, taking the sovereignty mm -hmm. away and this way our security is jeopardized, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and that our only guarantee of basically peace is the US. And it's pretty clear that they view the US their best ally okay. and their basically only ally, I would say. Well, uh, Trashkovsky, he would be saying that, yes, the US is an important ally, but we cannot rely solely on them. Uh, because they're far away and they have also different interests. 
but we need to cooperate within mm -hmm. the European Union because those are our closest allies. They're the closest to geographically, mm -hmm. and uh, we're you know bound to, uh, by the economy, etc. And um, now that he has lost, and we still have this like super pro-American and anti-EU government. I think that the very important thing is who will win the election in the US. Yeah. Because um, if uh, Trump wins, then, well, nothing will change. Yeah. But, uh, were Biden to win, I think that the Polish government would have to pretty much soften their uh, you know, judicial reforms and their conservative reforms within the country mm -hmm. because, well, the US is their only ally and they couldn't risk losing their only ally on the international scene yeah, and, because they'll be basically isolated. And I guess it's interesting that uh, I'm, I might be wrong, but uh, I heard something Biden supported uh, prominently this uh, opposition candidate and I guess uh, Trump supported uh, Duda or something like this. There was oh, oh, probably yeah, Obama, yeah, Obama probably. supported uh, this another democratic guy. So yeah. it's interesting because exactly. it's not really, you know, uh, you couldn't, it's not, it's not how politics works uh, because it's internal affairs and stuff like this, it's really, it's really strange to support, uh, to have any preferences uh, about, you know, these candidates. And But also EU, kind of, I mean, uh, most EU politicians, they also took some takes on, on these elections, definitely, and I guess Angela Merkel, some, on some senior German officials, they supported this liberal guy, uh, clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, so I guess maybe, um, yeah, maybe yeah, last on. question. So was Russia part of the debate somehow, or it didn't really, it didn't really matter in this? Uh, what's interesting, it wasn't present at all mm -hmm. in the debate. Um, I mean, um, it was uh, basically. I would say that both candidates would view Russia as a, the biggest threat, mm -hmm. uh, but nobody really exposed this topic too much. Yeah. The biggest issues were pretty much worldview issues that were discussed, okay. that being, you know, minority rights or versus traditional traditions and conservative uh, thoughts. Yeah. Um, and foreign relations also weren't really uh, a okay. thing during those elections. It was pretty, pretty much mostly domestic. Yeah, but there's also what, you know, unites people at a, certain, at a certain point, because like in Russia, it's really hard to be anti, let's say, American. Uh, and if, even if you are, if you support a position, you still you're expected to be anti-American because it's what really unites Russian people to a certain degree. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's switch to another topic. Uh, also from European realm, I guess uh, we definitely should dig into this uh, European budget. Uh, yes, definitely. Which is also connected to. Yeah. Uh, the Polish elections, I guess. Yes, I guess it's important also to mention, we didn't discuss this, that uh, uh, Germany took this a lead in European politics because it's now... Uh, yeah, the presidency. Yeah, the presidency. Also a very important topic because obviously Germany is the most, is the driver of all this uh, European integration together, together with France. So uh, it's interesting that they really insist on this uh, interpretation of this budget that... Uh, Oh, it's uh, how do you how do you say this? Uh, um, this uh, yeah, law and uh, rule and law. Um, yeah, rule of law. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, thing, uh, first of all, I think we have to distinguish that there are two things mm -hmm. that were agreed uh, on. So it was the budget for the next seven years yeah. and uh, the recovery program after the virus. Yeah. And um, 
and the thing with the rule of law was only is only applied to the uh, recovery program. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, first of all, what does rule of law mean? That's a great question because nobody really knows. It was just yeah. written down in the final agreement that the rule of law will be a significant factor in deciding whether to allocate okay. the funds or not. Um, so it's still pretty broad and left for interpretation. Um, and what is interesting after the EU summits, uh, Poland and Hungary would be would come back home, and you know the prime ministers and be glad that they managed to negotiate no rule of law, uh, you know, um, yeah. factor in the recovery uh, program, which is not true because it is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, they basically think that um, because uh, when you read the you know final agreement, it states mm-hmm. it states that. Um, a uh, procedure can be initiated uh, against the country in terms of in the case of rule of law concern emerges, but then the European Council will revert to the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they understood it, it means that the European Council can veto the procedure, yeah. which basically would mean that one member yeah. has to veto. But it seems that nobody in the Western part of the EU understood it this way. Um, that everybody thinks that it's the European Commission who initiates the procedure and only it can only be blocked yeah. there. So I wonder how it will work in the future when you have different interpretations. I know, but I mean, for me, it was it was really a little bit striking that they still managed to agree on something because it felt like with uh, with these two diversion like diversion camps with this uh, North yeah. Euro- like North European camp with the uh, Netherlands, you know. Uh, Denmark and all yeah, the frugal countries. countries, you know, that they didn't really, they, they didn't uh, want to share their um, budget with with anyone, and it's, it was also some some sort of a sovereignty question. And on the other hand, you know, like Italy, Greece, and some like also Eastern European countries, because they really want to get some money and they get, want to have a budget. Yeah. I guess uh, money is a key point here because. It was really hard to convince, I guess, those uh, uh, not frugal countries, um, but they managed to do this, and it was a little bit surprising. yeah, it's really impressive, true. yeah. And I um, guess, and I think it's also um, important to note people were basically thinking that, well, the rule of law will certainly certainly be dropped because, well, why would some you know, let's say France or mm-hmm. Germany care about rule of law if it's all about money after all? But people often tend to forget that rule of law is important when you basically open your markets to a different country. Mm-hmm. Like Germany has completely open market to Polish economy, for example. Yeah. And um, you want to uh, be certain to be certain that when your companies operate in Poland, mm-hmm. that they can have a fair trial in the judicial system. Yeah. The judicial system is not controlled by the government. So it's also about money in a way, you know, and finances securing rule of law because it secures your capital in foreign okay. countries. Yeah, this 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 is true. It's also it's also very political at the same at the same at, yeah. the, at the same time. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, but it's not it's not uh, as, a, as as far as I understand it's not uh, it hasn't been adopted yet because it requires uh, the consent of uh, European Parliament and I guess there yes, is a, a hit debate right now in European Parliament because European Parliament opposes something uh, in this. Um, uh, I mean, I guess they didn't really like some cuts that were made, but I guess uh, it's 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 so natural to make these cuts. You know, every time you negotiate, you propose a higher budget in order then to come down to some smaller number. 
I guess this probably yeah. negotiate. <laughs> He's nothing like <laughs> the oldest bargaining method yeah. there is. Yeah. But like also, I mean, this initiative is is very you know is is very German French driven initiative, and uh, I guess after yes, definitely after after they they concluded those talks like it, that lasted for like four days. Uh, yeah, um, Nero, and then there were a lot of like talks about, uh, and they publicly said, "Well, well, you can see uh, the benefits of you know, German, the French-German alliance, or how they call it, or something like this." Rapprochement. Um, so it's interesting, yeah, how Germany and France now can determine the fate of the EU, and it looks like it's it's really important for them to go further with the European Union. Um, in contrast to you know countries like uh, Scandinavian countries and uh, yeah. and Netherlands, but it's counterintuitive a little bit because we know uh, Netherlands and the Scandinavian countries as those very liberal, very democratic countries that for integration for I don't know for all those good liberal values, but. Uh, in yeah, and, um, about integration, I think it's a great step in terms of EU integration mm -hmm. because in terms of the budget and the recovery program, the EU will be the body yeah. that will uh, go into debt to yeah. you know, finance the uh, the budget. It's not the member states, but the EU itself, yeah. which is a huge step towards you know a common uh, monetary mm -hmm. policy. Yeah, I guess it's very important development. Uh, it kind of uh, gains some its own sovereignty, right? Uh, in this sense, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, I guess. Uh, and it had, the process hasn't finished yet, so I guess we'll come come back to this issue. And yes, we will definitely uh, some new developments on the way. And yeah, so um, I guess our last topic for today, we will touch elections in um, Belarus. Well, elections. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they formally are elections. I mean, for me, it's also very interesting. Uh, I, I thought a lot about this recently. I mean, it's still how they still um, comply with this notion of elections, even though the country is not democratic at all. But they still yeah. have to do this in order to not to look like yeah, to have a terrible and horrible illusion, yeah, uh, like illusion of democracy. Yeah, some African. It all uh, comes down to you know legitimacy because uh, after all they do border the European Union, yeah. which is very you know hard on democracy, pretty pretty much exactly. important for the EU. Exactly. So they need to have this like you know illusion mm -hmm. that they are a democratic country. But I think, uh, going back to the topic, the mm -hmm. biggest um, issue we need to cover is the fact that there's a huge public outrage against yeah. the current president. Yeah, this is true, and we need to keep in mind that uh, he runs for... I don't know uh, what term uh, he's running for, but I guess uh, he, will, he has been a president for a while, so for like 30 years right now. Um, basically, since uh, the creation of this gov of this country, uh, he's the, yeah. the only president <laughs> have existed in Belarus. Um, yeah, and but at the same time, we should keep in mind that this is way more uh, res like 
it's different kind of it's it's still a little bit Soviet society to a certain point because people don't have full rights in this country and it's also yeah, yeah. another part of uh, European um, uh, what's called Council of Europe for example um, so they still have a, a death uh, penalty um, and so it's 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 country where they have different approach to human rights and they they're basically not uh, European at all in this context. Yeah, and um, many people say that Belarus is like you know the last bastion. Yeah, of the Soviet exactly. Union, because so. and I guess it's also it's important to mention because people, some people, they couldn't really leave their homes if they are peasant, peasants, but they have some uh, sort of agricultural uh, business. I mean, but not business uh, in terms of it's all uh, government run, and you basically couldn't leave this business because you are. Um, you know, you live on this land, so it's 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 what it was. It's the way it was in Soviet Union, basically. Yeah, and that's why people don't have yep. just rights, and they're not responsible for their own life. Uh, it's it's a government that uh, bears all like responsibilities for you. Yeah, and I guess Lukashenko wants uh, right now. It was really interesting development with these people, Russian uh, mercenaries arrested in um, in the capital in Minsk. And yep. he wants to present, I don't know, it's really hard, you know, when you talk about this uh, to be really, uh, let's say, because we don't know a lot of facts, you don't know who actually were, who, who were these people, and it's really hard to, to be, to, to be you know, clear with facts because we know nothing at this, at this point, so I would be very cautious in making any claims. Yeah. Same. But it's definitely some sort of... A, uh, political, uh, but a lot of people are the same in Russia. A lot of people saying that it's it's a common way to bargain because um, like it's um, Belarus, you know, Belarusia understands that it's very valuable. So it's, it's value to modern Russia because it's the only yep, country, post-Soviet country, not only one, but one of the countries that still has this uh, idea of common. Uh, integrational project that believes in this integrational project and participates in all Russian uh, run initiatives. So, and Russia, mm -hmm. to, to a certain degree, it's kind of EU. Uh, Russian people can live there. Belarusian people from Belarusia can also live in Russia and have the same rights. It's kind of a European Union to a certain point. And it's important to save this country because, uh, of course, here, uh, Belarusia has also it's has also an ability to turn to Europe, at the same way uh, Ukraine turned to Europe, I guess. Yeah, uh, what would you say is the Russian attitude towards uh, you know the unrest in Belarus? Is mm -hmm. Kremlin concerned about some changes happening in the government, or so, are they? And what would mm. be the reaction if there were some changes? I don't know. They, I, they don't look really concerned because, uh, as far as I know, all opposition leaders, they are all pro-Russians. They, they all support... Mm -hmm. uh, because Russia really uh, relies... Like, Russia relies on you, like, on Russia. And uh, it's, 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 it's not... Uh, you, could, you couldn't say that those the very equal relations, so to speak. Uh, and they have to... They have to be friends with Russia, and it's a way smaller country than, for example, Ukraine. It's you know nine million people versus yeah. seven or six million people in in Ukraine. It's a way smaller country with a way smaller budget. It basically relies so on Russian um, um, Russian gas, uh, Russian oil to a certain degree. 
Russian military and stuff like this. Like this. So they're not really concerned. People compare, even if some very big unrest happens uh, the same way it happened, for example, in Armenia uh, one year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armenia still stay. I mean, it's still, it's still the part of this pro-Russian uh, integration project. It still supports Russian initiatives. So nothing changed in terms of uh, a foreign policy of Armenia, you know. And that's the, the same way they see Belarusia, the situation with Belarusia, yeah. So, um, I think they, that's, that's why they're not really concerned. They, they definitely understand that there is no alternative path for uh, Belarusia. And I also think, you know, it will not, because it's not democratic and it's uh, it's really... Uh, it's a country that doesn't value human rights. Uh, it doesn't really. Uh, it can't get European support to a certain degree. It can get some voices from European politicians, but it cannot get you know European support uh, from European Union because it's not a democracy and it doesn't value like Ukraine all these uh, democratic values. Uh, this is a big difference. Yeah, but wouldn't you say that? Um the uh, current uh, presidential candidate opposition, well, so it's basically mm-hmm. Svetlana uh, Tikhanovskaya. Yeah. But her, hey. she's running because her husband is in prison, yeah. who was supposed to be running. So wouldn't you say that she represents sort of a more liberal and a bit more democratic approach to politics? I mean, they definitely, they definitely want Lukashenko to step down. Uh, and in, in a certain sense, they just want their... their electoral rights uh, so they want they want their voices to be heard yeah in another way uh, another way to put this and i i would i would be cautious to say that they you know they have this uh, pro-liberal pro-european agenda the same way uh, people in ukraine had uh, because in ukraine all this mess happened because of this uh, european integration initiative here it's completely different, just just an unrest caused by uh, outrageously long presidency, because as we already, as I already said, it's he's the only guy who just basically uh, who rules Belarus for 30 years, and it's a lot. And I guess there are a lot of concerns, because he kind of actively promotes his own son to be the next president. Uh, he basically takes his son like uh, advisor to any event even though he's like so super young since i guess he was like 16 years old he brings him to like military exercises you know government uh, council i don't know it's 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 horrible to see <laughs> this kind of monarchies yeah. happening and they just want their rights to fulfill in terms of they want some rep- representation but at the same time, it's 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 really you need to understand they don't have this. Uh, I try to be clear, just this uh, pro-liberal stance on politics. You know, they, I mean, those people probably have some negative attitudes to LGBT community and all other stuff. Mm-hmm. So you don't see a similar shift like in Ukraine happening, like changing from the pro-Russian to more pro-Ukraine. No, no, I definitely don't see, and it's. In Belarusia is very different because it's still the part of all integration, integrational initiatives, and it's it's intrinsic part. I would say I don't see how we can turn to Europe in a couple of years or even in decades. It's a very long process. While you know, European like Ukraine, since uh, the collapse of Soviet Union, it, it 
did, didn't really value those relations with Russia. It was always trying to, it was it, it, it did try to benefit from EU since the beginning. Uh, it didn't. Uh, uh, it didn't sign uh, this uh, Commonwealth Agreement with Russia, so they try to be independent, and I guess it also is determined by the size of the country, and uh, they can, um, so they can afford this, you know. And Belarusia is really dependent on Russia. And there is no other okay. way to present this because I guess they this just their budget form is formed or based on Russian. Uh, on the Russian market, the access to Russian market. Yeah, so I guess uh, we pretty much covered everything, man. Uh, yeah, I think so. I guess this was very interesting for us to try this format, just to discuss uh, more civilian affairs, because it's still very important for security. Yeah, definitely. And um, so thanks for listening to us. Uh, As always. Yeah. Uh, Give us some feedback if you if you would like to subscribe to our channels, YouTube, Spotify, whatever platform you are listening to us, and see you soon. See ya.